So tonight we are talking about discipleship, which is obviously a very large topic. And if you guys have been around this community for any time, you would know that discipleship is what we do. This is like the core of Chi Alpha. Um, we're going to dig in a little bit tonight to what is discipleship, why we do discipleship, and what Jesus' method of discipleship was. So, in short, a disciple is a student. Um, a disciple is someone who disciplines themselves in the teachings of another. So, anyone that wants to become better in something, if they want to be better at art, they want to be better at the sciences, if they want to be better in athletics, a specific sport, what do they do? They practice. They figure out who is the very best at this and how can I model what I'm doing to follow their principles and their fundamentals. And that's what it is to be a disciple. So to be a disciple of Christ is to place yourself as a student of Christ and to learn to follow his principles and his fundamentals. Everyone in this room is already a disciple of something, um, whether we're aware of it or not and whether we want to be a disciple of that thing or not. The things that we learn, they shape us. The things that we see, they impact who we are and what we believe. Everyone is also discipling something into the world around them. Whether that is materialism or anger or selfishness or if it's Christ-likeness. I led a small group for three years before I became a resource leader, and I texted some of the girls who had been in my small group a couple days ago, and I said, what is something that I discipled into you that I didn't mean to? Or what is something that I maybe shouldn't have discipled into you? And there was lots of things, but my favorite answer was Hannah's, and so I'm glad she's here, but she said to me that I discipled into them my random competitiveness, and... <laughs> It's true. I did. Um, I would admit that there are probably six people in this world that are far more competitive today than they were the day I met them. <laughs> and sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. But I will say that every year we do a chili cook-off with Chi Alpha, and someone in my small group or resource has won at least one trophy in every single one. So I'm not going to say it's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> But, so all that to say that discipleship in this context we're talking about tonight is the response to the understanding that if I am discipling something to the people around me, it needs to be the very most important thing in my life, Christ. So it's a response that says, I know something that others need to know, and I'm going to do something about it. It's choosing to say that I will live my life in such a way that Christ will be brought glory. Discipleship, in essence, is an intentional relationship that revolves around growing closer to God and revealing God to others. And you guys have all seen that and experienced that in a small group. That's what discipleship is, is you're learning from the people around you and you're growing together with the Lord intentionally. Or maybe you don't know that's what you're doing, but you are. Um, that's what your small group leader's doing. Um, more than anything else, discipleship is Jesus' answer to how the world will know the gospel. We're going to start off the night in Matthew 28, 16 through 19, and we'll come back around to it later tonight. But it says in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. At this point in scripture, there are eleven disciples, because this is after Jesus died and rose from the grave, and so Judas isn't with the disciples. 
So when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in this scripture, we see that Jesus instructs his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And this same commission applies to us today. And that's why we do discipleship. In the scripture, Jesus reveals to the disciples that the whole world will know who he is through their work of making disciples. As Christ followers and as disciples of Christ, that should be our goal, is to be obedient to what Jesus has commanded and what he chose to ask the disciples before he leaves the earth so that is that they would go and make disciples. So tonight, we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at how we can be a disciple of Christ and how we can make disciples for Christ. And the greatest example we see of this is how Jesus did it, what it looked like in the life of Jesus. So Jesus, he chose 12 men. He spent time with them, he trained them, and he called them to obedience with God, and then he sent them out into the world to do the same. And those were his disciples. So how do we make disciples? We're going to look through what we call the master plan of evangelism. And what that means is it was Jesus or God's plan. This is how he decided to say to the world, this is who I am. And so we're going to walk through a few different aspects of that plan and dissect them and kind of say, okay, so from this, how do I be a disciple of Christ and how do I make disciples? The first aspect of this is selection. Jesus started out his ministry by finding men who would follow him. Men were his method. Um, in Luke 6:13, it says, At daybreak he called them together, all of his disciples, and he chose 12 of them to be apostles. So at this time, a lot of people had heard about Jesus and started to follow him and try to hear the things he was saying. But from them, he chose 12 to invest in and to train. You guys can pull up John 15. We're going to spend most of our night tonight here looking at John 15, verses 12 through 16. Verse John 16 says, you do not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. To me, this is so powerful that even though we didn't choose Christ, he chose us. And so for us as a disciple, this means that we need to respond to Jesus' choice of us. We need to recognize that our entire identity and being revolves around Jesus choosing us. And that he would die on a cross for that. We live out this principle of selection by choosing to allow Jesus to work in and through our lives. For us making disciples, what that looks like practically is that in the same way that Jesus chose the 12, there are people that have been chosen to be in our lives that we get to impact. And we have the opportunity to disciple those people. They might be people in our classes, the people we work with, or just people who have like happened into your life. God has placed those people there for us to have an impact on and for us to show who he is. 
We live out selection by finding people to share Christ with. So we won't spend any more time here. But once Jesus had chosen his disciples, he didn't just tell them who he was. He spent time with them and built relationship with them. And so the next aspect of discipleship is association. If you guys are in a small group, you've probably spent quite a bit of time with that small group. And you've probably done a bunch of different things with that small group that might not look like what you would first think of as discipleship. Um, I have a billion different memories of the things that our small group did together that solidified our friendship, solidified our trust in one another. Um, One of my favorites is actually with our resource a couple years ago. There's a stamp mill just outside of town. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to go there, but basically it's in the middle of the woods. It's abandoned, and there's not a real good way to go there, especially not this time of year. And so, like three years ago, this time of year, Hannah and Megan and Lucy and a couple other people were like, let's do this. Let's go find this stamp mill. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great time to have friends. And so we tried to go find the stamp mill, and honestly, we didn't find it. Um, We got lost for a little bit and walked past men on four-wheelers with guns, and we're like, are we trespassing? I don't know. Um... But then we, so we're leaving, and Hannah's driving, and if you know Hannah, you know that she is a very safe driver, but she is a very fast driver, and we are driving back on the road from Fox, and if you guys have ever been on, like, Goldstream, don't do it, and don't go fast on it. Um, Basically, we thought we broke her car, because we hit a bump really hard, and our heads hit the ceiling, and we were like, what are we doing? Um, (laughs) My mom's here, just ignore that. (laughs) Nothing happened, Mom. It's fine. We're safe. Um, All of that to say is that that thing wasn't us specifically saying, okay, this is going to bring us closer to Jesus. But the fact that we got to spend time with each other and learn more about each other and learn more about, like, the ways that God had moved in our life and seeing the character of God in one another has helped solidify like each one of us as friends and as disciples of Christ. So Jesus lived with the disciples. He invested in their lives and he cared about them. He didn't simply call them to be apostles and send them out. He spent time with them to the point that they understood who he was and what he was all about. And that was the essence of Jesus's training program was just letting the disciples follow him around. When he first called them, they didn't really know what all they were getting into. They knew that he was a prophet. They knew that he was a guy whose life was godly and looked like something they could trust. But they didn't fully understand yet that he was the Messiah. So he gave them time to learn about who he was as the Messiah and what that meant for how they should live their lives. Through the time that they spent together, they became more than servants following a master. As he taught them, they became friends. So in John 15, 15, Jesus says to his disciples in that same passage, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what, it mean, what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
Last week, Kevin talked about community, and he talked about the five C's of community and what that looks like. And at this point, Jesus had said, we now share a life and a mission. He had built with his disciples by spending time with them a common understanding of who he was, and he had established in them a common purpose to evangelize the world. And at this point, by spending time together, they were now in this fight together. For us, as disciples of Christ, this means that we need to spend time with Jesus. We need to allow him to share with us who he is by reading the word of God and through prayer. We need to spend time with Jesus to learn about his heart. It's really hard to trust someone and to want to be obedient to someone if we don't actually understand who they are and how good they are. We need to spend time with Jesus to learn about his heart for the world and to know the role that he wants us to have in it. And for us making disciples, this means that we need to spend time with the people who we share Jesus with, the people that we're discipling. We need to have a sincere desire to be their friend and to see the very best for their lives. We laugh with them, we cry with them, and we care about the things that they care about. Through discipleship, I have learned to like cats. I've never liked cats in my entire life, but Lucy and Emily Stone really loved cats. Also, Hannah loves cats too, so it came in handy a lot, but I never liked cats. My only encounter with cats was my grandmother's terrifying cat, and so for the sake of Jesus, I now like cats. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was, that was not in my notes. Um, Anyhow, we care about the things that the people who we want to see know Jesus care about. And we live our life together that they would begin to see Christ lived out in our lives. So now that the disciples had established this common understanding that Christ actually was the Messiah, to fulfill the common purpose of making Christ known, they had to be obedient to the commands of Jesus. And so that's the next aspect of discipleship is consecration. If you're an LTC, you know what consecration means, and it's on your exam on Saturday. So write it down if you don't know it. Um, The idea of consecration basically means that we're set apart to God and we're set apart from the world. So we do as God asks and not as the world does. Jesus, when he requires obedience of his disciples, it wasn't just for his own sake because he was asking them to like do something he wanted them to do, but it was because he knew that in time, obedient followers will eventually take on the character of their leader. So for the disciples to look like Christ and to be continually sanctified, to become more and more like him, they had to walk in obedience to him. In John 15, 14, Jesus tells his disciples, you are my friends if you do what I command. This verse has always sounded harsh to me at first, that there would be some sort of like stipulation on Jesus' friendship. But that isn't what we're seeing here. What we see is that Jesus just goes on to say, everything that I know from the Father, I have told you. You know the commands I have given you, commands to love God and to love others. And if you choose not to follow these commands, you are not truly my friends. Does that make sense? 
Our love and devotion to Christ is shown through our obedience to his commands. And his commands are to love God and to love others. For us as a disciple, this means that we get to follow the commands of Christ. The Bible is our guideline for what a life of Christ-likeness looks like and how to do these things. But they're summed up in Mark 12, 30, 31. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. For us who are making disciples, consecration means that we need to model Christ-likeness to the people that we are discipling and teach them how to be obedient to Christ. I have a meme for you guys. This is, I was really excited about this, so I, you need to laugh. Um, this is it. Um, it's really good. This is why consecration matters. So in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth and he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We have to look like Christ if we want the people who are looking at us to look like Christ. If we want to introduce someone to Christ, they have to be able to see what Christ looks like in us. Which Paul? Is that what he said? Yeah, the Apostle Paul. That's why he's writing to the church in Corinth. Yeah. Clearly, it didn't happen in this, in this meme. Paul, in the Bible, did a good job. All right. <laughs> this standard that Jesus set of obedience was one that he also followed by being obedient to God the Father. He isn't asking us to do anything that he didn't already do himself. Jesus' life of obedience to God was one that required himself to be given away. And that's the next aspect of discipleship, is impartation. So Jesus gave himself away. From the way that Jesus loved the disciples, they understood that they weren't just keeping law, but they were responding to someone who loved them. And who was willing to give themselves up for him. Jesus, his life was a life of giving. It was giving away everything that the Father had given to him. His peace, his joy, his glory, and ultimately his life. In the same passage that we've been looking at in John, Jesus sets his foundation for what it looks like to love. by saying in verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And that is the model that he would show only days later as he gave his life to die on the cross so that we could be free from sin and to have eternal, eternal life in relationship with him. Robert Coleman is an author who writes a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. And he states that love is like that. It is always giving itself away. When it is self-contained, it is not love. In Chi Alpha, we talk a lot about the definition of love as being unselfishly choosing for the greatest good of God and his kingdom. 
And that is exactly what impartation is. It is setting aside our own preferences and our own wants for the sake of seeing people come to know Jesus. It's unselfishness that is done joyfully. Sometimes in my, in my life of discipleship, it looks like going for a drive with a friend late at night when you'd rather be in bed. Um, if you guys know me at all, I, am, I need sleep. I just don't do well without it. And if I get less than eight hours, even if I like physically feel fine, I'm like, no, I didn't get enough sleep. Everything's terrible. And so for me, this is like the greatest sacrifice. That's dramatic, but if you know, it, Alex can tell you. It's, you don't want me without sleep. Like, it's not good. Uh, my mom can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow. So I'm the biggest baby about it, but... Most of the like really memorable times that I spent with someone one-on-one discipling them and speaking into their life and sharing with them and walking through what God was doing or what was going on were well after 10 p.m., driving around town, sitting in a parking lot, chasing the moon. Lucy and I went on a grand adventure one time. We found it. Um... (laughs) And honestly, though, in most of those situations, I did not want to get in my car, go pick up my friend, and spend, when you go into those things, you're like, this is going to be hours. Like, you just know. So I didn't want to do those things. Like, what I wanted to do was to crawl into bed and pretend like I hadn't seen that text. Maybe it's just me, but, but that is not what love is. That is not what Jesus modeled. The kind of love that Jesus models, reads the text, and replies and says, I'm on my way, let's talk about this. Or calls him and says, hey, I'm sorry you're going through this, let me pray for you. This love looks at what is best for another person and chooses that over what you want for yourself. I will add that this type of love is not always easy and it doesn't always feel good for either person. Sometimes it's a really honest conversation that hurts a bit, but it's done in love and in truth and it saves that other person from hurt in the long run or from hurting God. This is the unselfish love that God models and commands. To lay down our lives for our friends, to lay down our selfishness, our pride, and our preferences, and even our resources for the sake of seeing our friends draw closer to Jesus. We get to respond to this love by choosing to do it. As a disciple, we get to choose to walk with God because Jesus chose to give himself away, to die on a cross, and to reconcile us with God because he desperately loved us even while we were sinning. As a disciple maker, we also get to choose to love others in the same way, the cost being as big as giving up everything you have your entire life to show them who Christ is. And I will tell you that it is worth it. I'm going to cry. It's worth it, guys. Um, (laughs) Paul will tell you I cry in every staff meeting, so (laughs) don't make me cry. Okay, if Christ was willing to give up his life for us, are we willing to give up our own life for others? Are we willing to love in a way that people around us can recognize Christ in us? 
and will we unselfishly choose for the highest good of God and his kingdom? The most beautiful thing about this is that Jesus didn't expect the disciples to figure out how to love this way on their own. He demonstrated first what it would look like. And that's the next next aspect of discipleship is demonstration. So Jesus showed them how to live. In John 15, 12, as Jesus gives his clear command, he says, this is my commandment, that I love, that you love as I have loved you. He didn't expect them to love in a way that they had never seen. He expected them to love in the same way that he himself modeled. As the disciples walked with Jesus, he taught them how to live with both God and man. He taught them to pray, to use scripture, and to win souls. He taught them how to be generous, how to resolve conflict, and how to be kind to one another, and how to treat people who were different from them. Who here thinks that those sound about good things that people should know about and know how to do? I do too. I agree with Stefan. He's the only one who writes to stand. <laughs> but... They are good things to know, guys. Um, He taught them all of these things by doing them and then explaining to them what he had done. He explained them when their hearts were ready to receive them. He did not force growth on them, but he showed them what was good and right. And as they saw the fruit of it in his life, they followed suit. All that the disciples had to teach them was a teacher who practiced with them what he expected them to learn. I'm going to say that again. All that the disciples had to teach them was a teacher who practiced with them what he expected them to learn. That is the same way that we can disciple people. Not by taking authority in their lives or, and correcting like the things that we think are wrong, but by following the example of Christ and demonstrating how to walk with God and man. And this, again, is like why consecration is so important, is that we have to look like Christ if we want to model what it looks like to be Christ. I will also add, though, that you do not have to be perfect to make disciples. None of us are perfect. We will never be perfect. But there are so many Christ-like qualities that can be demonstrated through our readiness to confess our sins when we see them in our lives and to apologize to the people that we have wronged. Our weaknesses do not have to impair discipleship when shining through them is the transparent sincerity to follow Jesus. For us as a disciple, demonstration means that we look to the examples that have been set for us. We look at the life of Christ. We look at the life of a godly man and woman who is a step further down the path of discipleship than us. And we follow those examples. We let Christ's demonstration change how we treat God and how we treat the people around us. We must love both God and our neighbor. For us making disciples, this means that we need to teach our friends how to follow Jesus. The things that we are taking for granted in our walks with God that we say everyone knows how to do this, like, yeah, it's easy to pray or something like that, the next generation of believers needs to be taught those things. We need to allow our friends to encounter the mighty and holy God by demonstrating who he is in our lives. 
When I first started preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of the story of the woman at the well. And not for the sake of actually the woman's encounter, but for the sake of how the Samaritans react to the woman when she comes back. So many of you are pretty familiar with this story. It's in John 4, verses 4 through 12, or through 42. Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and he says to them, we need to stop in Samaria along the way. And this is culturally super weird. Um, he stops at the well there, and there's a woman. And she's a woman who's ostracized from her community for her obvious sins. And basically, he sh- reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And he tells her to go and sin no more. And she, through this encounter, believes. And she returns to Samaria and tells them about how she met the Messiah. And so we're going to pick up here in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. This is the part that I want us to focus on. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is what I long to hear as a disciple maker. That this is like part of the goal of discipleship is that a friend no longer simply believes in Christ or is curious about him from what I have told them but because they have experienced him and encountered him for themselves. And so that's like, that is what we're going for with demonstration, is we show someone who God is. We show them how to live for God. We teach them what they need to know to have their own relationship with God, that they may encounter him and like know what to do with that. We're going to keep going. So what did Jesus do after he demonstrated how to walk with both God and man? After he taught them how to live, he assigned them work. Everybody loves work. Um, But that's the next aspect of discipleship delegation. I will say I love my job. This is a pretty great job. Um, It's discipleship. That's my job. Um, All right. In the last scripture that we looked at in John, it was just before Jesus goes to die on the cross. Three days later, after he died, Jesus rose from the grave, and he meets with his disciples, and he delegates the task of making disciples to them. Because he is returning to the Father and will no longer be on earth to make disciples, he gives that task to his disciples. And this brings us back to where we started off today. So in Matthew 28, 16 16 through 20 in the Great Commission, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So when Jesus commissions them to make disciples, they already know how to do this. Because Jesus first discipled them and taught them 
exactly what it would take for them to fulfill this commission. The method was selecting a few, spending time with them, teaching them to follow Jesus' commands, loving them unselfishly, and demonstrating a healthy relationship with God and man, and then delegating them to do the same. This, I love studying this because this is where like the incredible intelligence and brilliance and forethought of God is seen. Christ would be made known to the world because when he first made disciples, he taught them to make disciples. Who would make disciples? Who would make disciples? They would be what we call transgenerational in reproducing more disciples. Jesus leaving this earth and ascending to heaven did not mark the end of evangelism, but instead it was the start of it. He taught the disciples how to evangelize the world, and then he left the earth, allowing the Holy Spirit to come and empowering God's people to make disciples that would reproduce more disciples. For us as a disciple, what this being delegated to us means is that each and every person in this room has a purpose to fulfill in this life to go on to make disciples and to make Christ known. If you're ever wondering, I don't, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what my purpose is. This is what your purpose is, is to know God and to make him known. For us making disciples, this means that we also need to give responsibility to the people that we're discipling. We need to help them do the things that God has asked them to do. Once we have equipped them, we need to send them out to reproduce. That's the next aspect of discipleship is reproduction. Very similar to what Jesus delegated because what he delegated was to reproduce. But not only did Jesus prepare and equip the disciples to reproduce, but he expected them to do it. Jesus intended for the disciples to produce his likeness in and through the church that was being gathered out of the world. The fulfillment of his very coming into the world dying on the cross and rising from the grave depended on the faithfulness of his chosen disciples to the task. It didn't matter how small that group was. It didn't matter that it was 12 people. It could have been less, so long as they reproduced and taught their disciples to reproduce. And this is the same model that you guys are familiar with in Chi Alpha and that our small groups are based off of. We look at 2 Timothy 2.2. Everyone in this room who has gone through our leadership training has been made to memorize this verse. And it says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In this, we see four generations of disciples. We see Paul, who is writing this letter to Timothy. It's Paul the Apostle, not Paul Burkhart. Um, sorry, that was a really bad joke. I apologize. God, I'm embarrassed about that one. <laughs> um, we see Paul. And then we see Timothy, who is being discipled by Paul. And then we see the uh, reliable people that Timothy will disciple. And then we see the others that the reliable people will disciple. The super cool thing about this is that if each of these disciples followed the model of Christ, this lineage of Christ followers would still be active today there would still be make people making disciples who will make disciples. We have the opportunity to impact the generations to come 
by making disciples who will make disciples today. Coleman, who wrote the Master Plan of Evangelism, he states that this is the new evangelism we need. It is not better methods, but better men and women who know their Redeemer from personal experience. Men and women who see his vision and feel his passion for the world. Men and women who are willing to be nothing so that he might be everything. Men and women who want only for Christ to produce his life in and through them according to his own good pleasure. And I believe that that's true. We don't need a better method. We need to step up to what God has asked of us. Our God knows all things and he sees all things. So why would his model of reconciling the world to himself be anything short of perfect? Granted, we don't always execute it perfectly um, because we're not perfect. But we have the perfect model to use if we choose to step into the calling that God has placed on our life through the Great Commission and to make disciples. So as we close, how do we apply this? We need to be disciples of Christ, and we need to be disciple makers for Christ. When God delegated the work to the disciples with the Great Commission, he also delegated us with that same work to go and make disciples of all nations. We get to choose to spend time with the people that God has put in our lives, to invest in them, to pursue Jesus with all we have, and to invite our friends to do the same to open up all of our lives to them, holding nothing back. We get to show them how to live for Christ, how to pray, how to read the scripture, how to disciple others. We keep speaking into their lives. And we see God continue to move. We see that what God has done in us, he will do through us if we let him. And the cycle of transgenerational discipleship continues. And the commission of God is fulfilled on this earth. As we close, I want you guys to ask yourself a few questions. The first is, what or who are you a disciple of? Are you a disciple of Christ or are you a disciple of the world? If you're in a place where you're ready to take discipleship seriously and you say, I want to be a disciple of Christ, I want to grow with God. Or if you're feeling like you've been stagnant in this discipleship process and say, I haven't been growing with God, like nothing's changing, then awesome. Um, I want you guys to find the person that you came with or your small group leader and tell them where you're at. Tell them if you want to get serious about discipleship and say, I'm not fine with living my life a disciple to the world. I want to follow Christ. I want to learn to like, be who he's asking me to be. They would love to walk with you and disciple you as they walk with Christ. This, what I'm about to say might come across a tiny bit harsh. Bear with me. If you are a, someone that's a small group leader and you're feeling this way that you are stagnant and you aren't seeing any growth in your own life, you need to take responsibility for discipling others. We cannot be true disciples of Christ and not disciple others. We have to be showing the people around us who God is through the way we love them, through the way we live with them. Are we okay with that? Was that okay? 
I was like, I did come across Tarsh, okay. <laughs> cool. As a disciple maker, my other question is, are you discipling Christ-likeness? Is our responsibility and our priority to stay close to Jesus? We cannot lead people to places that we have not been ourselves. We must be Christ-like to disciple Christ-likeness. So we're going to spend a few minutes at the end to pray and talk with our small group leaders. And during this time, if you aren't praying with a friend, I want you to ask the Lord, in what areas of your life do you need to be discipled to look more like him? Or in what areas of disciple-making do you need to grow in? This might look like being intentional about inviting someone to come to small group for the first time or just starting to recognize the influence that you have on your coworkers or the people that are around you. And there are also people in this room who are thinking, I don't know what I'm a disciple of, but it isn't Christ. And we're really glad you're here and that you are letting people speak into your life what they know about Christ. And if you're in that place and you've decided that that's not a place that you want to stay, please do not leave here tonight without telling your small group leader. If you want to accept Jesus and start on this path of discipleship and learning, to what, learning what it looks like to walk with him. So talk to your small group leader or talk to Paul or talk to myself. We want to pray with you and help you start that journey. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to spend about five minutes answering the question of what am I a disciple of and how do I need to be a better disciple maker? And then Paul is going to come up and close us. Dear Jesus, God, I thank you that you gave us the most perfect example of what it looks like to be a disciple and to make disciples, Lord. God, I just pray that you would open my friends' hearts, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to them during this time, God, and um, just that we really would learn to pursue you more, God, to be disciples of you and pursuers of your heart, Lord. We love you. Amen. Hey, guys. I want to just uh, bring our time together to close. for, uh, and Let's just say thanks to Casey. Uh, and, and don't forget... Yeah, it is her birthday, but this is what I know about what she shared, is that she shared the core of our community, and if you've been with this community for any length of time, you know that we are a community of disciples. The word Christianity literally means Christ-like, and so the, the whole essence of being a follower of Christ is to become an imitator of him, to allow his character to become our character. And we are a community on mission. We're not standing still, are we? Like, if we know anything over the last seven years, as we began with just a handful of students like Casey, we started with this idea that we believed that we could change the world from Fairbanks, Alaska. That the world would be different because this community existed, and it sent out graduates around the state and around the world to, to not just go live their lives and, and sit in a church, which is not a bad thing to sit in a church on a weekly basis, but we are called to much more than to be listeners and consumers. We are called to be ambassadors of Christ, to, to go and to represent Christ everywhere we are at. 
And so perhaps you might have heard some of these ideas for the first time tonight. Let them stir, let them stew, let them challenge you about this idea that Christianity is far more than just believing something. It's part of becoming something and allowing God to work through your lives. We say that we are a family, and many of you do that very, very well. We are known for our community across the campus and even around the city, right? We love each other really, really well. But we are a family that is an army. We go out and we accomplish the mission of God in this community, on this campus, in this city, state, and world. And that vision will be part of who you are if you embrace it, if you allow it to become part of your DNA during your four years at college. It will go with you into your jobs. It will help you disciple your children. And it will change the world in which we live. We are in this for total global domination, right? That's what this is about. God deserves it all. Lord Jesus, we love you. And God, thank you so much for this word that Casey shared and the way that you spoke through her. Thank you for raising up this community. No one is in this room by accident tonight. We're here, we're encouraged, we're lifted up. We're challenged to draw closer to you, oh God. We want our character to be conformed to you, to allow the fruit of the Spirit to be exhibited in our lives, but not just for our sake, so that your name could be glorified in the lives of those around us, that our friends might encounter you, they might fall in love with you the way that we have, and that the world could be different. 2,000 years ago, you gave this mission to your disciples, and we are literally part of the descendants of those disciples who have continued to make disciples for 2,000 years, and now it rests upon our shoulders to carry that torch, to not allow your name to be disgraced in this world, but instead glorified all around the globe. And God, we want to see that happen in our lifetime, and we want to participate in that. We love you, Jesus. We love you. Be with us as we go from here. Help us celebrate and have fun together and enjoy this wonderful spring. And Lord, that we would be able to celebrate you as we end this school year and move into the summer and next year in your precious name. Amen. All right, guys, we love you. Uh, have a great night and we'll see you next week.